Despite some key injuries, the Miami Dolphins were a playoff team in year one under Mike McDaniel. Are they primed for a deeper run in 2023? It's Dolphins Day, and we're breaking them down from every angle today on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. You are locked on NFL scouting with the Draft Dudes, your daily podcast for NFL and college football scouting. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's better than this? It's guys being dudes here on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. We're the Draft Dudes. I'm Joe Marino from Locked On Bills. He's Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins. And we are your NFL experts here with you daily to talk team building across the league on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'd like to thank you for making Locked On NFL Scouting your first listen every day and a big welcome to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, we appreciate y'all being here very, very much. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today to get started. Joe, run that part about in spite of injuries for me one more time. <laughs> despite key despite key injuries, the Miami Dolphins were a playoff team in year one under Mike uh, McDaniel. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? Oh, gosh. Happy National Kyle got the soundboard in the Streamlabs day to you. Well, what's funny about that is I really didn't hear it. Um, so good luck with all this. No, I, I heard like an echo through your... Oh, no! Uh, yeah, so you probably had an I wonder, awesome surprise. I wonder if everybody else heard it. We can only hope. We can, we only, can hope. only hope that they did. If not, then um, we're going to have to do some more troubleshooting. So. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, I also can't hear the video when you play the video as well. So it's Yeah, probably, I understand. So it, it is, the soundboard's probably on there, but the fact that you won't hear it is super disheartening. Um, potentially even better, you know? All right, the comedic factor could be off the charts here. So we're going to talk about the Dolphins. It's obviously fitting that uh, uh, the Bills fan did the intro. Obviously, there's a bunch of Dolphin stuff hanging up on the wall behind me. The Locked On Dolphins listener, I expect we're, we're going to show up in numbers here today. But, Joe, one thing that I would kindly ask is I understand – and I'm going to be in these shoes, what, next week? Mm-hmm. Where, like, you're talking about the other person's team with the person. Don't let me bully this conversation. And if anything, I'd almost like you to provide some of your insights and us talk about them as compared to, you know, I think that's probably a safe way for this to be the objective conversation that we want it to be. And obviously, we've come to a lot of consensus already. We have the um, we have the big board locked and loaded, and we'll talk about that throughout as we go. But I just want you to kind of commandeer the things that were your observations as we start on the offensive side of the ball. Of course, well, what we'll have to be mindful of here is we we talk about the Dolphins a lot together, right? And so, like, we're bringing everyone else into the conversation, so we have to be very uh, non-assuming that. Uh, everyone is up to speed on the conversations that we've been having well for like the last eight years so all right Miami Dolphins will start this conversation on the offensive side of the football Mike McDaniel taking over this football team last year offensive minded came in and really did some incredible things with Tua Tungavaloa as a quarterback and the addition of Tyreek Hill and what this passing game looked like especially when Tua was healthy um and so what, where I really like to start the conversation offensively is is obviously with the strength of 
of what this team is, and that's Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle at wide receiver um, with Tua throwing them the football and just how dynamic that was last year. And, you know, you know Tua missed a little bit of time, um, which took away from the volume of statistical production. But, like, when he was healthy, the, the production was absolutely off the charts. And give a lot of credit to Mike McDaniel to be able to come in and so quickly – I get this going, right? It's a timing-based offense in a lot of ways, um, a lot of down-the-field stuff that takes time to really take off, and it did pretty quickly. Um, I'd say probably the second half of the Baltimore game, right? It, right. We, we got a chance to see uh, the types of problems that this could create. And so uh, I think the identity of this offense is Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Tua. Um, and then there's a lot to talk about elsewhere but I wanted to at least acknowledge that here as we get into this offensive conversation I mean that's a really exciting uh quarterback and one-two punch at wide receiver yeah and I, I think just in talking about the passing offense this was some some research that I had came upon and I know you and I talked about it privately with uh next gen stats and I think it's very interesting that you know the average air yards downfield to a tongue of Aloha and average uh air yards per completion in the NFL last year uh, two is more than a yard, almost a yard and a half further downfield average air yards per completion than the next highest rate quarterback in the NFL last year, and that was Josh Allen. And yet, in spite of that, two is average snap to release was 2.6 seconds, according to Next Gen Stats. So I think that's a testament to the strengths of two as a player, and, and he's a player who is a skill-specific type of player, compounding with the skill sets of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and what that speed prompts defenses to do and how they try to cover you and how their speed still gives you horizontal and vertical stretch in the offense where if you were more of a traditional west coast timing based offense elsewhere you're probably not pushing it on average eight and a half yards downfield per completion you know it's probably much shorter and you don't have so much space in the second level and, and distress the second level of defenses where they're either going to way fly out of there and you can hit stuff underneath, or if they're going to honor your RPOs and your play action passes and they're going to step forward, the speed of those players getting into that area of the field in the middle of the field is really what allowed this all to mesh as quickly as it did, like you said. Well, yes, and I think that's a good way to expand on you know just the success that they had in year one throwing the football, especially because it was year one for all of that, but also... This is the first time since, what, high school that Tua is going to have the same offensive coordinator mm -hmm. in consecutive seasons. And so building off of that has got to be really exciting for this football team. Uh, yeah. To kind of go to the next place that I'd like to with this offensive conversation, Hill, Waddle, okay, we got it. One of my, I guess, criticisms last year watching the Dolphins and as I think about them in 2023 is going to be, all right, what else are we going to get going here on offense? whether it's a true third target, like a volume player there that can take advantage more of what Waddle and Hill dictate in terms of them on the field and like, holy crap, right? Like as an opponent, that's a nightmare. And so there should be another player in the passing game that really could feast on that uh, and or the rushing offense, right? And, and I think that was a surprise to a lot of us given McDaniel's background as a run game coordinator with Kyle Shanahan, with the 49ers, the success there. And you just didn't really ever see this running game take off with any level of consistency. There were certainly moments, right? We, we recognize that, but overall the volume and commitment to running the football was, was not uh, what we 
expected. And and I, I get it. Like you have Hill and Waddle, like, and that's working and you want to throw the ball a lot to those players, but I'm interested in how the run game and or a third weapon in the passing offense can really emerge this year to kind of evolve and take this offense to another level. Yeah. And and I think when you look at what they've done this off season, you you'll look to a lot more of the peripheral players offensively is where the attention was for I mean, which makes sense. The, I mean, the pillars are the pillars. How are you going to upgrade on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Wallace, a wide receiver duo, right? Very going to be very difficult to do or come into a player that would allow you to do that. Uh, they chose to bring back the the rushing offense from the backfield last year with Raheem Mostert, who had signed on a one year deal. They gave him a new two year contract. They acquired Jeff Wilson at the trade deadline. Obviously, a lot of familiarity with that system, and I think what it seems like they're banking on on the rushing offense is uh, that year two jump. And I think if, if you go look through the stops that McDaniel and Shanahan have had together in the respective offenses that they have gone to, the year one to year two jump in the efficiency of the running game and the ability to execute the assignments and the understanding of the principles and the concepts involved uh, – it's, it is a very dramatic increase at every single stop along the way going back to Washington in the early 2010s, where year two, it feels like the offense clicks into place, and it seems like that is what Mike McDaniel is really banking on. Obviously, I think you're, you're going to have a new starter on the offensive line in Isaiah Wynn, whether that comes at right tackle or left guard, which sounds like is, is kind of the favorite spot for him right now. You know, just last week, at the end of last week, I went back and I watched all... 85 snaps that Austin Jackson played in 2022 as a third-year player, and I thought he was pretty good in the run game. He had a busted assignment uh, when he played against New England in Week 1 when Miami went jet motion and the Patriots bumped the backs, or the the, the backers, and it led to a miscommunication breakdown in the first half of the first game that they played, and then he came back and played against Houston, and I thought he was better in the run game than he was as a pass protector. And, And I think when you think about play action passing and the RPOs and what McDaniel does in general. I think that this is a system that's going to put him in the best position to be as, as good of a player as he possibly can, because I think if he's a true pass set player, it's not clicking, right? It's just, it hasn't been there, but in this offense, there's a lot of full slide run action, bootleg and naked play action passing off of that. But if you're pass protecting, but you're selling run really hard and your back stay down and everybody's flowing the same way, I think that plays into what Austin does well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of getting transitioning from the run game into the offensive line. But I, I think there's some talking points there about the run game in general, where you're hoping Austin Jackson can be an asset in the run game, even if he's not a super efficient, true pass protector. And Isaiah Wynn at potentially left guard, pushing Lee Meikenberg off that spot is that plus year two, plus a totally remodeled tight end room enough to get you humming in the, on the run game offensively. Let's talk a little bit about the offensive line. I know this has been a, a topic, right, for the Dolphins for a number of years. And I think there's some really good things in this offensive line, uh, particularly in three spots. Of course, left tackle Teron Armstead uh, is as good of a tackle as there is in the NFL, even even at 75%, right? I mean, and right. he plays hurt a lot, and he, he's able to do so and, and still be you know, an excellent, excellent starter for them. Uh, how about Connor Williams at center? I don't know if this is talked enough about uh, across like a national landscape, but this dude never played center before, right? They sign him uh, to come over from Dallas. He goes to center 
plays every single offensive snap last year for the Miami Dolphins, and I I thought he was he makes the protection calls too, it, which is really rare stuff for a guy to be able bro. to step into that. So yeah, uh, he he's an absolute stud, and then so is the right guard Robert Hunt, um, who's turned in to be his second round pick, if I'm not mistaken, yep. and. He, he's really quickly emerged as a quality starter who I still think is getting better. And I think you have three stalwarts right there. And then it's just about, all right, well, is, a, is I, Isaiah Wynn going to be your right tackle or your left guard? I th- would want him to be the left guard uh, because I think he's a better left side player. I think we learned that last year. And if he does have to fill in for Teron Armstead at left tackle, I think that transition from left guard to left tackle is just a lot easier. And then it's just about, okay, Austin Jackson, can it come together this year? Um, and so I guess you have two question marks. You have three studs and, and two question marks for this offensive line. Feel a lot better about win. And then, you know, is this going to be the year for Austin Jackson for it to all come together? And yeah. I think there's been things you can point to throughout his journey to this point that you could say, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense why he hasn't played his best football, but it's got to happen this year. Right. And, and I think Liam Eikerberg was comfortably the worst starter on the offensive line of the original five last year. And to his credit, he was a left tackle who came in and was bred to play right tackle. And then he ended up at left guard. And then for the season opener, Austin Jackson got COVID in 2021. So he had to play left tackle. And then he went back to right tackle. And then they moved Austin Jackson um, to, to left guard. And, and he's just kind of been in musical chairs. And now we're finding out he's getting cross-trained at center, too. Uh, so there, there's been a lot of interruption there. But I think the infusion of Isaiah Wynn, He's your fourth best offensive lineman. Say what you will about how poorly he played. Yeah, look look at the the blown assignments and the penalties and the lack of discipline for every New England Patriots offensive lineman last year versus their standard, right? And that even includes David Andrews. Well, I think Michael and Wayne, you might be the rare, the only exception on that yeah. offensive line. Trenton Brown struggled too. So, yeah, yeah Skarnecki retired two years ago, and Matt Patricia was your offensive line coach, and you had these guys changing positions, changing offensive schemes with Patricia as your line coach and your offensive play caller. Not surprised that didn't go well, but I think you can fall back into what Wynn has been historically, and when he's been healthy, he's an impactful run defender, and like you said, he's a better left side of line player. So I, I do expect he is going to end up at left guard for them as things currently stand, and and you've got a lot of competition for what those spots six through eight or nine look like, which is a good place to be with how the depth was tested last year. Anything else here on this offense? We want to talk about tight end. It is a, it's a redone room here. Mike Gusecki, a Patriot, if you want to call him a tight end. Durham Smythe is back. And you bring in a couple of veterans in Tyler Croft and, and, and Eric Saubert, but Elijah Higgins drafted kind of a, a transition from receiver to tight end there. Still not a guy here, right? But it's deeper, I would say. More blocking it's ability deeper, here. deeper, more blocking ability, and they're not going to get the football a lot. And that's okay. When you have you're bringing in Devon A. Chain at running back to catch passes out of the backfield, and Raheem Mostert, and you brought in Chosen Anderson or Robbie Chosen or whatever he's going by right now. I know there's some big hoopla because he's got Chosen on the back of his uniform. So they're like, how'd he pull that off? So uh, Braxton Berrios was brought in as well. So like you 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 brought in other receiving targets, and then obviously you're going to run probably 280 targets through Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I, provided I they're both healthy, knock on wood, they can stay that way. But give you more than three hundred if I got those two players. Right. Three hundred targets. So, like, sure. what do I care that the top tight end is going to get thirty-five targets this year? They couldn't run to the formational strength last year because the tight ends couldn't block. So you go out and you get guys that can can give you more competition and hopefully do that. And I think Durham Smythe is stabilized as a, a 
quality blocking tight end option, a jack of all trades, master of none. It just kind of puts a glass ceiling on who he is. For their tight I got end. a question for the YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment here. This is my question for you. Who is the third leading receiver for the Miami Dolphins in oh, 2023? Okay. That's fine. Who is the third? Um, I'll shoot my shot. I'll go with I'll go with Braxton Berrios. I think he comes in and catches 50 passes in the slot. They need that player. Yeah. Because teams down the stretch started bracketing both Tyreek and Jalen in money down situations and said, okay, somebody else can beat us one-on-one. And Tua most often found Mike Gusecki. There was a lot of chemistry there, and he can't separate. Like, unless he's yeah. running a bender or a special across the middle field, he just can't separate. Yeah. All right, anything here? Left on this Dolphins offense. Let's flip it over. All right. Well, I I know that the uh, the world of South Florida has made a break uh, to the, the the championships, right? In, in the NBA and in, in the uh, NHL playoffs. So, uh, the rest about. of the world catch playoffs? up here, make a fast break to FanDuel during playoffs? the NBA playoffs because right now new customers get a no sweat first bet up to two thousand five hundred dollars. That's two thousand five hundred dollars in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And you got a lot going on there: the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup. MLBs in full swing. You have football futures bets. It's a safe and secure app. Great promotions every day. You get paid instantly. There's simply no better place to get in on all the sports action than over at America's number one sports book. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. FanDuel really turning up the heat on anybody. Heat. Get it, pun intended, on anybody who um, is not taking advantage of that no sweat first bet. It used to be $1,000 no sweat first bet. Now it's 2500 no sweat first mm. bet. 1-1, one, one, right? 1-1 one, one going back get, to right? Miami, that series, right? Right. Yeah, I saw the uh, the odds on that series change pretty dramatically with Miami stealing a home game. So Big, big. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, the defense, defense – you got to start the conversation with Vic Fangio now, the defensive coordinator. That's probably as big of a thing that's happened for this football team since they stopped playing in 2022 is getting Vic Fangio to come over here and take over this defense. And so I I, I can only imagine how excited Dolphins fans are for his arrival. Yeah, I think it's the neat thing about the Fangio arrival in my mind is there's a pretty significant amount of overlap from a run support and front structure perspective, this, the, the back end is going to be dramatically different. And I think it lends itself much more favorably to the players that you have in Javon Holland not living on the roof at 25 yards downfield, just being the guy who cleans stuff up on the back end. And you have aging corners in Xavier Howard, uh, who played through two groin injuries last year and looked noticeably a step slower. Mm-hmm. But you acknowledge that he played with injuries, but still, he's knocking on the door of 30. Jalen Ramsey coming over via the trade. These players at this stage in their career, once upon a time, they were stud, press man, leave them on the island, play the math game. Don't even think about throwing outside there and doing the rest of your defense in a more condensed area of the field. But these players now, really good ball skills. Maybe not as good in turn and run situations and in in straight line foot races down the field. So you let them play from depth. You have them play through receivers with eyes in the backfield on the quarterback to play zone coverage in this quarter-quarter half or quarters-based defense. Um, they do play a lot of cover three. Fangio plays a lot of cover three, but he spins to it with weak safety rotation and drops that other safety down in the box. 
Um, that's opportunities to get Javon Holland closer to the line of scrimmage. So you're, you're looking at the mechanics of the back end, and it's going to be dramatically different, which I think what caught Miami in so many games last year is you play the script and you'd be really competitive and you'd have success on defense, and then you get in the second half and it'd be a big-time money situation, and every opposing offensive coordinator would go, all right, they're going to show pressure, they're going to drop out of it with a cop underneath, and they're going to play cover one over top of it. And if you ran crossing routes across the middle of the field, or if you took a shot with a fade route down the hash from the slot, New England hit a play like that. Green Bay hit a play like that. Buffalo hit a play like that. It's like how many times in a week-to-week basis can you come back and just run the same thing on a money down late in a one-score game and expect to get the stop when you've been doing the same thing all over again? So I think Fangio having the same static presentation but giving you different things as compared to Josh Boyer last year gave you different presentations to eventually just run the same thing anyway is the biggest ideological difference with what Miami's going to be versus what they were. Oh, the rest of the AFC East is very sad to see Josh Poyer depart, but... Uh, right. Oh, no, third and seven. Oh, we're going to run... <laughs> point <man>. made. <laughs> hey, how about this defensive front? Uh, the, the, this is... There's just a lot. There's a lot here um, up front for the Miami Dolphins, and there's somebody who champions uh, defensive line play in depth. Uh, Miami is speaking my language here with... Uh, what they've been able to draft in, in Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips um, turn out to be absolute studs for this unit to go with, you know, who they brought in last year, Bradley Chubb. Uh, he'll be healthy this year and, and um, should be positioned to play really good football in, in a scheme that he's familiar with, with Vic Fangio and, and their time together in Denver. Zach Sealer is an absolute stud as part of this unit. Um, I appreciate a guy like Andrew Van Ginkle and the effort that he plays with, and you can kind of use him situationally. Um, Emmanuel Agba is back um, healthy. I didn't know that he was going to be part of the mix this year. It seems like that's going to be true. Malik Reed, uh, another Fangio guy. I mean, there's just a lot, man. I mean, this is this is a deep group, and that's that doesn't even mention Raekwon Davis, who has some run-stuffing ability at the nose. And so um, just waves on waves of guys here that they can throw at the pocket. Uh, guys that can win inside and outside, and and it's, I think the word I keep coming back to is it's just a lot. Yeah, depth and quality is, I mean, it's in that stratosphere of the San Francisco's and Philadelphia's of the world in my mind for you know, just how much depth they have, and I think Jalen Phillips is is primed to uh, not take so many third downs as a three technique who's running two and three main games on the interior and, and Vic's going to run more of these uh, cheat fronts and more of these uh, double threes and double nines. And you're going to give him a wide nine opportunity on passing downs. And I think that for Phillips, while he certainly showcased a potency on those two and three main games on the interior and as a pick setter and trying to set stuff up because so much of that, pass rush ideology in Miami was trying to manipulate protections and attack a single gap with a single matchup. I think the, the effort, the explosiveness, uh, the pass rush prowess, the power that Jalen Phillips has, has him primed to be a 12 to 15 sack guy in my mind this year. And he's put up good sack numbers each of the last two years. And from a pressures perspective, he was amongst the tops of in all edge rushers last year, but 
not really finishing those plays. I think this systemic change on how they approach rushing the passer is going to put him in more positions to finish those rushes. And I think Phillips is is going to enter into a totally different stratosphere playing for Vic. And you have a really good secondary playing behind this now. Uh, we talked about Xavier Howard already. Him being healthy will, will be helpful, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the stylistic changes with the defense will be very good for him as well. But also... Uh, not sure if people are aware, but they acquired Jalen Ramsey uh, to to also be part of this uh, secondary situation. And, you know, not having Byron Jones and what they thought they were going to have there to go with Xavier Howard really kind of took away from what they wanted to be defensively. And so uh, I, I like the idea to go out there and, and really add another big-time corner to go with Howard. And then, like, this slot situation is really deep, man. I mean, like, Cater – is how we say his last name? Kohu. Kuhu? Kohu. Yeah. Kohu. I don't want the pronunciation police to be after me. Um, phenomenal last year as a UDFA. They draft Cam Smith in the second round. Oh, by the way, Nick Needham was good. He got hurt, right? But he's been a good player for this defense in the slot. And so a lot of depth there. And like Javon Holland, I, like close your ears, Bills fans, but like one of my favorite young players in the entire league, regardless of, of position, um, can do everything, tackles plays the ball punt return high energy like just a player you love to have in your football team and now brandon jones comes back healthy who i think is a nice complimentary player and you have a nice depth now with the addition of deshaun elliott and so it's good it's a good secondary behind a good front so what i think will be or do you have your sheet up in front of you i do so are you on the master list just because i'm gonna do it for everyone to see it i want you to see it as well Okay, I'm on the master list now. Where should I be looking? The Dolphins? Yeah, I would recommend doing the Dolphins. But what I wouldn't be surprised to see is some of this this year as well. With Jalen Ramsey, for those of you who aren't on YouTube, going in the nickel, and then you have either Cade or Kohu as a player who experienced time both in the slot. He's a really good man player. I think when you want to go man and you want to have matchup specific stuff, either Cam Smith, if he's ready for it, or Cater Kohu going on the opposite outside with Jalen Ramsey spending time in the nickel closer to the line of scrimmage. Ramsey's been at his best in the last two years, and he has played between 300 and 400 snaps in the slot in each of the last two seasons. He's become a much more diverse player. Um, I, I don't want to invoke any Hall of Fame names here, but Jalen Ramsey's probably on pace for a Hall of Fame career. I think about the evolution of what Charles Woodson was as an outside corner and that what he became as a safety, but Jalen Ramsey's a little bit more low in the hole type player. I think he could play high safety, and and there's instances in this defense where I think you have so many man matchup players that if you want to go straight coverage, you know, I, I don't think it's prohibitive of you to put uh, Javon Holland and Jalen Ramsey at safety and put Cam Smith in the nickel and Cater Kohu and Xavier Howard on the outside. Yeah, get like your best it, five. Yeah. That it's your best five coverage players. Yeah, that's the best way to do it, no question. So and then what you can spin to and what you can play out of those presentations yeah. is endless. Yeah, a lot of versatility. With Vic Fangio calling it. Yeah. So I think I think the 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 versatility of Jalen Ramsey being a roster cornerstone player with what he's become the last two years, the first three years in, in the NFL, his NFL career, he was just a lockdown outside corner. You just played 10 on 10 when he was out there, and that was it. 
It's really interesting. But if you remember the conversation with Ramsey coming out of Florida State, like I think most people, people believed he was a corner, but there was a lot of safety talk even then. Like, hey, is his best position safety? Oh, and here we are, what, seven, eight years later, kind of talking about versatility as he you know ages throughout uh, his well, career. And interestingly enough, just to finish on that thought, when he was acquired, he was announced as a DB. Yeah, I remember that. And then there was like some hoopla about that. And I think they, they, I don't, I'm not sure if they deleted it, but like then Jalen Ramsey was asked about it and he said, I'm a defensive back. So like, I, I expect there's, and, and this isn't like some groundbreaking thing. The last two years in Los Angeles, like he spent a lot of time on the second level, on the overhang, on the hash. He's starting to get pressures. And I don't know if you watched any special teams reps of Jalen Ramsey running off the edge to block. Uh, try to block field goals, but the explosiveness that he still has there, if you're blitzing that out of the nickel in condensed sets, he's going to get home a couple times because he, he did it last year. So a lot to get into with, with Ramsey and Vic. Be remiss if we didn't mention David Long's arrival here uh, to be Jerome Baker's running mate on the second level, which is a big upgrade over Landon Roberts. Um, I guess you can look at this. We, we talked about this off air the other day. I think the Dolphins kind of have a couple of matchup linebackers here. They don't – you know, neither one of them a very traditional type player, but I, I like the group. Yeah, a lot of versatility. I know you mentioned Andrew Van Ginkle. I think he he is somebody that's getting uh, some looks during OTAs and minicamp as a stack linebacker. I think about Fangio's base defense, uh, which is an odd front, uh, but he really plays a four three under with three, four personnel. And that Sam linebacker, AKA the linebacker to the formational strength ends up dropping out and playing hook curl or, or flats. And I think Van Ginkle with his athletic ability being that player Mm -hmm. in some instances will make a lot of sense depending on who they're playing on a matchup basis. So um, definitely you would, you would expect with David Long and Andrew Van Ginkle being brought back on a one-year deal, um, that, that hopefully the middle of the field areas in which teams exploited Elaine and Roberts last year uh, is not the case this year upcoming. All right. We have to come to consensus here. Some big names. Some big, some big names here with the Miami Dolphins as we continue this conversation today on the Lockdown NFL Scouting Podcast. Joe, one thing that I can't help but notice is you didn't put out your thread of observations. Oh, for the Dolphins this morning, was that intentional? Was that you, you knew your fan base wasn't going to want to hear it, or you didn't uh, want to hear it, or no? You know what? I feel bad about that because I've done it for every team. Uh, this morning, I had to take my dog to the vet, and then I uh, came one? home and I uh, Bruno, Bruno's, uh, you know, we we got him. We had we rescued a dog literally off the side of the road. Okay, and and unfortunately, he's heartworm positive, so he's going through a second round of heartworm uh, treatment. So I had to take him this morning, and then I got back. And in that normal window that I would traditionally send out that tweet, I recorded with with Peter Bukowski on Locked on Packers. And so this was just this moment when you told me that was like the first moment that I realized I didn't send the tweet. Now I feel bad about it. That's okay. It's fine. So everybody in the comments, if you're on YouTube, let let Joe know uh, what observations you were looking forward to hearing from Joe. (laughs) And we'll go I can that. still get it out before I put up the pop, the podcast. Yeah, you, you, you probably, if I were you, would probably filibuster and, and do it. Yeah. Uh, so you so can't hang it over your head. We have some big names to come to consensus to here. Uh, three of the four projected starters up front in Cater Kohu. So Jalen Phillips, 
Christian Wilkins, Bradley Chubb, Cater Coe, who are the ones that we need to come to consensus to. And the disclaimer is, I think we both are prepared to acknowledge what these players were. It's just mm-hmm. the categorization of them and keeping congruency with the energy that we've had for other players across this series that is now on our 14th team. Where would you like to start? Start with a non-front player, I guess, Cater Kuho. We don't have any players on offense, right? We're all good there? None. Okay. None. You and I did some pre-show work on some of the depth skill players and one of the depth offensive linemen, yeah. but we're we're – chalk there right now we're trying to spare you guys from conversations about third string guards well we're also uh, 32 minutes in and yeah all right so uh, <laughs> one more time on this caters last name kohu kohu okay he played he was phenomenal last year i i don't i don't disagree with that he played really well i'm excited to to see that there's a path for him to play a little bit on the outside still um i, I guess i for me i I don't have him in anything right now. I want, I know I have him as a pink. I have him as an incomplete evaluation because I want to see the sample size expand that that's it. I, I mean, he performed like a quality starter last year. It's just a small sample size and like also projecting him into this situation with the amount of players that they do have kind of in the, in a similar role. I, I, I don't know if I don't know what this is going to look like this year. So I think for congruency's sake, I put him in, quality starter just based off of you know Byron Jones never plays Brandon Jones impacts your defensive backfield and and he goes down week five Nick Needham goes down with a torn Achilles week six Trill Williams torn ACL in training camp they signed uh, Mackenzie Alexander in training camp and he lasted two days of practice and then his season was ended with a season ending like he wasn't supposed to be here Right, but I think when you isolate, this is a UDFA from Texas A&M Commerce, and you watched how he played. I mean, he was targeted a ton, but he still played very good football. And I think he is best in the nickel when you look at uh, his short area change of direction, his ability to play press man, which they played almost exclusively at A&M Commerce, and then his willingness and ability as a tackler to get down into the box. It all really popped. Uh, so I think this is a, a quality starter skill set, but for congruency's sake, I'm, I'm totally cool with putting him as an incomplete evaluation just because he's a second-year player with a scheme change. Okay. Christian Wilkins? Sure. Let's let's do arguably my favorite player in the NFL. And I know that Bills fans, and there's a lot of Bills fans that listen to this show, you probably cringe at hearing that because there's not a lot of love lost between those sides. But the way he plays the game, the effort, the volume of plays that he has, what he does in run defense and in block deconstruction, and that is going to correlate very well to Fangio's system where you have to play a gap and a half. You have to be willing to fall back a gap uh, at the point of attack, and he does that countlessly. Uh, You wish there was more pass rush productivity here. I I think we do acknowledge the uh, system that they played was more of a manipulative front schemed pass rush as compared to letting guys really off the chain but nevertheless I think that hole in his resume right now is probably turning at the top of the corner and finishing some of those pass rush opportunities yeah I think the conversation here is about pass rush it's not about run defense he's one of the best run defending defensive linemen in the game uh my favorite thing about Christian Wilkins is is that and he's been doing this since he's been at Clemson, man. When they when his team scores a touchdown, he's the first guy on the field, man. He's 
runs out there is like ultimate teammate. Um, it was the first pick of this Chris Greer. Yeah unquestioned GM of the team. He was the GM before that, but Tannenbaum was VP of football ops. So Tannenbaum called a lot of the shots. Yeah. The, the conversation here is just that the pass rush just hasn't been there. And I, I, I wonder how much of that's not his fault, right? Like he can deconstruct blocks. He's athletic. He has everything in his bag to be an impact pass rusher. But I think that the way that Josh Boyer had them attacking the pocket, it didn't lend itself <clears throat> excuse me, very well to to Christian Wilkins go out there and being a high volume pressure or sack guy. I think we're going to see more of that from Fangio. Um, if the Dolphins I, are smart they'll, smart, they'll get the contract extension done before Christian plays this year. Right. Playing Which on his fifth I, year option. I year. wonder if Christian's going to take the deal, right? I right. don't know if it gets around 20 million, which is, I, I think, kind of our expectation, pushing 20 million, especially with Ed Oliver getting 17 and new money you would think that Christian Wilkins is probably going to push for 20. Um, but Christian goes out there and, and has the type of production I think he can have. <laughs> he might be north of 20. You might be in right. that 22, cost, 23. Cost yourself a couple milli per season. Right. So that's interesting. Uh, we're trying to come to consensus here. I, I'm I'm good with him being a, a roster cornerstone of blue here. And I think that the player that I want to invoke here, that I would make my case for it, um, he hasn't necessarily fulfilled the same role, but I think he's capable of fulfilling the same role. Stature-wise and stoutness-wise, I think there's quite a few parallels to Kenny Clark with the Packers. He just hasn't mm-hmm. played as frequently in the A-gaps, but Kenny started to move around a little bit more too, mm-hmm. especially now that they have Slayton this year. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I like that. So all right, we'll put Wilkins as a <clears throat> cornerstone. Bradley Chubb? Let's do Phillips. Yeah, I want to save Chubb for last. Okay. Jalen Phillips? I mean, we me... we kind of teased it a little bit. I, I tease my position. I think he's he's going to blow up. He was, for the last month and a half of the season, he was the Dolphins' best player. And that's regardless of offense or defense. He was their best player down the stretch. Okay, so I, would, I'll, I will 1 million percent acknowledge that I think he's going to blow up. And I think he started to blow up last year. Looks like a great young player he's 24 he's young right yeah he just turned 24 like literally last week um two years of experience was it 15 and a half sacks in two years something like that yeah 15 and a half yes. sacks in two years here's here's like he's at least a quality starter i think he's on the verge of cornerstone in terms of the way that i look at him and and the reason that i didn't quite put him in cornerstone yet is because that's a bucket that's going to have the likes of Miles Garrett and Nick Bosa and TJ Watt. And for as much as I'm excited about Jalen Phillips and his trajectory, I'm not ready to put him in that type of. So company. let me ask you this. How exclusive do you think that club needs to be? Cause we haven't really well, had that. We've, we've had that conversation well, indirectly, right? This is the first example I think of that, where it's really come through where it's like, man, it's, like if I think if you look if you buy into everything I just said you're like yeah Joe you know what I get it, but like how much do we want to forecast here? I think it's going to be really good. I, I I'm pretty sure we're going to look back at this conversation and be like yeah he's a roster cornerstone, but like I I feel like he's got to show us show us that still. For what it's worth, Jalen Phillips last year 
had set was credited with 70 pressures, which was good for sixth amongst as edge defenders in the NFL, trailing Micah Parsons, Nick Bosa, Max Crosby, Zadarius Smith, and Miles Garrett. That's it. Now I acknowledge TJ Watt missed what half the year. And I know mm-hmm. that was one of the names that was brought up here. Um, but that was the, the sack production versus the pressure production was, is the big argument that a lot of Dolphins fans have with Jalen Phillips. And I am very much on the side of process over results. And, and therefore your pressures are, are highly valuable And 70 pressures last year. Uh, sixth best in the NFL was enough, especially he's, he started a little slow the first month of the year. Uh, the way he turned on down the stretch and then extrapolating that into this defense, I, I'm i a little more willing to go to bat for it. I'm going to invoke a name here. Josh Allen, Jaguars. We didn't give him roster cornerstone. And I think you can make a same thing, qu- quantity of pressures. I mean, like, to me, if, I'll say this. I'll, I'll go blue on Jalen Phillips, and we're going back and going blue on Josh Allen. Josh Allen, interestingly enough, 68 pressures versus Jalen, 70. They both had the same amount of hurries last year, 44. Both play a billion snaps too, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you guys they, in your they, they rushed, they put, Josh Allen rushed the passer on 483 snaps last year. Jalen Phillips rushed the passer on 480 snaps last year. That's crazy. So so much volume. So And, and if you filter for – Players who rush the passer at least 50% of the minimum on the, the charts uh, from a win percentage, pass rush win percentage. Uh, Jalen Phillips is seventh. He's behind Garrett, Bosa, Parsons, Smith, Trey Hendrickson, and Charles Amenehu. How about that? 21%. Yeah, not, I noticed percentage. that. Not excited about him being on the Chiefs. Let me, you, and you can, well, you can enter that conversation too if you'd like. Uh, Phillips at 20%, and then Josh Allen at 17.5% is 14th on that list. So very comparable. I'm fine with that. So we're going to move Josh Allen to a cornerstone as well. think so i think i'm good with that i'll do that right now boom done uh which brings us to bradley chubb and you've been fluid and you told me ahead of time that you were probably going to be fluid but not be fluid on this one right i have him as a quality starter okay so i get it yeah i get it um the dolphins certainly think he's a roster cornerstone right with the with contract paid him <laughs> although they <laughs> They restructured that deal. They max restructured that deal this offseason, and it's still like very feasible for them to transition like post June one if they wanted to. Not that you make that move with that intention. Right. But if your eye is on, well, we're gonna have to potentially pay Wilkins and pay Jalen Phillips and pay Javon Holland, like some of these big money contracts are gonna have to come off. Ogba's gonna be one, but what else do you transition away from? Um all I'll say is he played last year with a high ankle sprain. He was at his best in the Fangio defense. Uh, His best seasons were with Vic. I I think he's, the Dolphins tried to emulate some of the stuff. They they had him dropping into space where that was originally some of the Jalen Phillips reps were were him kind of buzzing out and and taking flat responsibilities. Chubb did a little bit of that once he came in, but he battled the high ankle sprain the entire time he was here after the trade deadline. He was on really good pace early in the season and then fell off with that high ankle sprain, so... 
But then again, injuries are, are, are have kind of felt like they've popped up intermittently for, for Chubb throughout the course of his career thus far. Maybe he can get there. I, I think he's I think he's a really good pass rusher, a really good edge player. <clears throat> Between injuries and consistency, I don't think we've seen it. Okay. To the level okay. of roster cornerstone. That's I'll put him as put him as quality starter. So that's the Dolphins. Big picture thoughts here as we we finish up. Big picture thoughts. I and I hate to go to this spot, but this is I think we have to. It's the the elephant in the room with the Dolphins is is health, right? And and there's a lot of key players on this football team that have had injury issues with Tua, Teron Armstead, uh, Raheem Mostert, your lead running back. Chubb himself has had injuries. Uh, Xavier Howard's banged up. Like uh, David Long's had injuries. And so I think this team's going to go as far as they can stay healthy. And I, I, I still think there's a high floor for this football team. I love that Mike White's the backup quarterback uh, because I feel like he can come in and really stabilize things and a lot of carryover from the system that he played in with the Jets and where he's had some good moments without as good of a supporting cast. But this team's got to stay relatively healthy. And if they do, I think they're a contender in the AFC. But if they get banged up, like crazy, then you know that that's going to become a lot tougher of a course. So I think the part of the thought process here is is you don't want to you don't want to go look for players with durability questions, right? Mm-hmm. But you think about some of the commitments that they've made, and it's like, okay, can we get enough impact players? Where if you get banged up throughout the course of the marathon of a season, and you've seen the 40, the 49ers roster has done this quite a bit, where they have blue chip players who get banged up, they miss some time, but they have enough blue chip players across the entirety of the roster that they still have enough difference makers that can help them bridge the gap until they return to full strength. And I think the thing for Miami is they went out and they they added another cornerstone player in Jalen Ramsey. They added another quality starter in Jalen and David Long. And those were two of their three weakest spots. And then on the offensive line, their weakest spot was Lee Lee Meikenberg. They have a player with injury issues in Isaiah Wynn, who's definitively a better player as well. So you upgraded arguably your worst three spots on the roster with dramatic improvements. When those players go down, you just hope they don't all go down at the same time. And then you hope that you can cycle them back around to be ready to play at the end of the season and that there was enough other impact players that you kept the the watermark high enough that you win enough football games to get into the postseason and just let let the chips fall where they may. And the most important ones, Tua. Kyle, I'm sure I can right. answer, ask you this question and you'll know the answer. What was their record in games that Tua started and finished last year? Oh, started and finished? Yeah. It's eight and three, I think. He was yeah. eight and five total, and he left the the Bengals game, that's and he right. left the Packers game. Packers, that's right. Yes, and this team won ten ten wins last year. Nine nine and eight last year. Man, so eight and three in the games that he started and finished, and one in draft dudes do math. God help us. One in four. Uh, one in five. Now, technically, he didn't start the Houston game, but they pulled him because they were up 30 to nothing. Well, he started it. He just didn't finish it. 
Right. That, that goes to him. Yeah, that's yeah. circumstantial. Yeah. It's, it he was, was not – the game was won. Yeah. <laughs> so – That's yeah, a big deal, five, man. One and five versus eight, eight and three. Is yeah, I mean, the splits I, for games that he starts and finishes. Teron, Brad Chubb, Ho- Mostert, David Long. Okay, you can absorb go. those guys. Yeah, two a man. Stay healthy. Two a man. I think that's a T-shirt. Is it? <laughs> I th- it might be. Two a man. I don't man. know. We we ran this thing long enough. We're gonna go ahead and get out of here. Appreciate everybody for checking out the show. You can trust Locked On Bills will be at least as or the Locked On NFL scouting version of the Bills will at least be as long as this one. Uh, that's my goal is to to heap the flowers in the way that, that Joe is very objective. I'm going to be objective I, about the Bills. I, I mean, it's a good football team. I it is a good football team, but that's right? always a trap. Yeah. It's always yeah. a trap that that consumers are going to fall into when one guy's got the team hanging on the back of his wall. Yeah. So I was appreciative of the way that you approach the conversation. And you will well, get the, the same thing for me. When it's three consecutive about. winning seasons, right? I mean, like. They're, I think they're – where do they rank in the NFL in wins over the last four years? It's pretty freaking uh, high. It's been 20 – 28 wins the last three years. Right. I think that's like, in I think the they're top... one of, I think they're in the top four of AFC teams right. and wins the last four, three so years. Combined. Like, like, I mean, I didn't want to sit here and say all these nice things about the dolphins, but I mean, okay. They, they've, they've earned it. They so. had a vision and, and it's time to put up or shut up and we'll see what they do. Uh, we'll see what all of you do. We hope you come back and see us the rest of this week. I'm Kyle Krabs. He is Joe Marino. We are locked on NFL scouting. You can find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Let's make it a great week. Come on back and see us again tomorrow. Peace.